Welcome to Tax Breaks, the Moody's Tax Podcast, where you find informed discussion, lively debate, and sometimes a little lighthearted fun around tax issues in Canada, the United States, and around the world. Good day. My name is Kim Moody, and I'm here with my colleagues, Kenneth Cohn and Sim Herjee. Uh, we have a uh, a sim hasn't uh, appeared with us for a while, and so we're pleased to have him here. And today we're going to talk about the landmark decision of the Supreme Court of Canada in Dean's Night. And uh, there's been a lot of chatter about this decision when it came out. Uh, when was it? About uh, two weeks ago now, guys. Mm-hmm. And it's another GAR decision, General Anti Avoidance Rule uh, decision of the Supreme Court of Canada. And it's gotten a lot of chatter in the tax community. So a lot of our peers have put out some very, very excellent submissions. Um, you know, the ones that we've taken a peek at, you know, BLG has an excellent submission and Davies Ward Beck has an excellent submission, or not submission, commentary, um, and a whole bunch of others. I, I, I guess I shouldn't probably list some of our competitors, but, but uh, you know, they've done a great job. So... Our, what we want to do today is not kind of regurgitate the uh, commentary that the tax community has already made. We, we, we want to just comment on some of the implications of this decision, but we can't really do that without at least starting with the facts. So, uh, Kenneth, do you want to maybe just walk us through the mm-hmm. basic facts and a bit yeah. of the history here? I will, instead of going through like the details of what happened, I will just summarize it in a few sentences of, of essentially what happened. So um, we have a corporation that had accrued a whole bunch of losses, loss carry forwards. And the, the original business has ceased already. Uh, and then the, and then, but they, they were trying to find a way to, I guess, monetize the value of these losses. And a, um, they entered into an arrangement um, where, where someone else entered into what they call investment, um, investment, investment agreement, which, is, which because of a series of transactions doesn't qualify as a unanimous shareholders agreement, but essentially gave the other party um, factual control right, of, of the company. And then they renamed the company to these knights. And because they skirted uh, the jury or legal control uh, change, these knights get to use the non-capital loss carry forwards from previously from a different business and to shelter future profits. So on that point, Kenneth, just to be clear for our audience, 111 sub 5 is the provision that's that up of the Income Tax Act is what is at operation here and at, uh, you know, the subject of, of the cases, the case history. And that requires, uh, to the extent that 111 applies and there has been a change of de jure control, mm-hmm. then those losses would have been denied to be utilized by Dean's Knight, correct? Yeah, post-acquisition of control. Uh, acquisition, post-acquisition of the jury or so-called legal control, right. those losses cannot be claimed anymore. So in plain English, what happened here for our non-tax technical audience here is they avoided a change of legal control, a change of de jure control, by these series of contracts and agreements 
but instead resulted in factual control, which mm -hmm. is different than de jure. Yes, and throughout the act, the legislation has always differentiated between the jury control versus factual control. They apply for different for different purposes. Right, and in this case, the provision clearly requires, in order for it to be operative, a change of de jure control. Yeah, and and the reason why it was important for them to avoid the agreements being a unanimous shareholders agreement is because there's. Uh, old, very old and long-standing case law that says unanimous shareholders agreement is part of the constating document yeah. where one has to look at to determine if the jury control has been acquired. Right. So they carefully structure the transaction to avoid having a And, uh, and when we look at the, the tax court of Canada's finding in this case, they conceded that there was a tax benefit in an avoidance transaction. But the tax court found there was not that effective control to make that arrangement work. So that right. didn't fall in to the rules because they skirted the rules. So they skirted the rules. The CRE obviously wasn't amused. They reassessed to deny the losses. It went to the tax court. And you've already uh, said, Sim, that the tax court found it was fine. It was not abusive. Not abusive. So, so. And therefore, guard didn't apply. And the losses can be. So, good results so far. The general mm -hmm. anti-avoidance rule didn't apply at the Tax Court of Canada. What happened then, mm -hmm. Kenneth? The, the Crown appealed the decision and went to the Federal Court of Appeals. And the Federal Court of Appeals, um, think uh, written by Justice uh, Woods, and, and concluded that, fine, you didn't, yeah, you, you, you carefully structured a transaction so that you, there wasn't a change in, um, uh, the jury controlled, so you didn't get more than 50% voting rights. But what you have achieved here was actual control. And that was the phrase that the Federal Court of Appeal used was actual control. Whereas in the Income Tax Act, there's no such phrase. And, and, and that created really the controversy with Dean's Knight. Prior to the FCA's ruling, or if the FCA put it in a much tighter constraint, I don't think this case would have had as much attention in the tax community right. because they essentially introduced a whole new concept and replaced the terms in the Income Tax Act yeah, I, and then created even more confusion. And in tax planning, we all of a sudden went, whoa, what's going on? What is What does control mean? Right. I mean, even internally, I mean, think about the debates that we had internally about what does actual control mean? Mm -hmm. What does this mean? Oh, good. It is being appealed to the Supreme Court of Canada yeah. and oh, good. The Supreme Court has uh, agreed to hear it. And part, part of getting a case in front of the Supreme Court has the concept of being broad, applicably a national concern. Yeah. And because of the FCA's ruling, the, 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 the taxpayer was able to show the Supreme Court, this is broad, this now affects the Income Tax Act and taxpayers around the country. Now that's why the Supreme Court partially agreed to hear the appeal. Because control have applies for many other different many, purposes many as things. well. It's no longer, it, it became no longer just a guard case. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. It became, how do I interpret parts of the act? So fast forward to a couple weeks ago, the decision was released. Good decision, from bad Supreme decision. Court, from the Supreme Court from of Canada. From the Supreme Court of Canada, yeah. So. From, a, from a narrowing what the FCA found, a good decision. From the taxpayer's perspective, probably a bad decision. Um, but a lot of that outrage that the FCA created was backpedaled. 
mm-hmm. by the Supreme Court. The, the Supreme Court said the approach that the fe- uh, Federal Court of Appeal taken was incorrect. Like the point is not to create a separate, uh, separate category of control, or even like they, they said it was just too much emphasis on the text. And the, the whole gist of the Supreme Court of Canada decision is that you need to really step back and look at the why of a tax provision. Why did Parliament create 111 sub 5? And after a bunch of uh, actually really well-written analysis, they concluded that 111, Parliament enacted 111 sub 5 to prevent the use of laws carry forward when there is a um, change in the identity of the owners and a change of the identity, like the change of the complete change of the business. That that's really the essence of why what Parliament is getting at, and Parliament decided to use change of the jury control to measure that. Um, and and then they look at okay, so in this case, did the taxpayer achieve what they were not supposed to 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 achieve? according to this spirit and purpose, the why of this provision. And then they found that they did. They, they achieved the functional equivalent of... That's the phrase they used, right? Yeah, functional equivalent. Which is a lot different than actual control, right. which is what the FCA proposed. Of, of a functional equivalent of a change of judiciary control of, of what you were not supposed to do based on the uh, intention of 111.5 because owners change uh, and the business completely change. So, so they, so because of that, and and they they they, they said um, simply because of the way they structure the arrangement, so that there's a circuit breaker to prevent the that their agreements from being a unanimous shoulders agreement. They skirted um, the jury control, so they ignore that circuit breaker transaction. So let me let me just summarize this so that people, so our audience can hopefully keep up here. So, so. The Supreme Court of Canada found in favor of the Crown. It was a seven-to-one decision by the court. Uh, You haven't got into it yet, guys, but uh, when I read the dissent quickly, um, I thought, ooh, this is more aligned of what I would have thought. Uh, I wouldn't have thought that the court would be coming up with this new concept of functional equivalent, for example. I would have thought that they would have rested on de jure control and not gone searching for um, an overriding policy. Um, yes, you need to look to the policy, but the policy evidence should be quite clear. And the courts said that many times. So, so this majority decision still surprises me a, a bit, Kenneth and Nassim, with the introduction of this new concept of functional equivalent. Uh, any comments there, or am I off base? It, it's become very important to look at the spirit and the purpose of the legislation. And, and that's essentially what they're getting to with the functional equivalent. Um, with, with the functional equivalent, you really look at that spirit and purpose because the dissent goes to, back to that original point is Parliament was so clear saying de jure control. So right. how could this be anything but an avoidance of that? And, right. and, and said there should not be guard here. But the majority looked at, okay, what was really happening here? Did they skirt the rules? How did they skirt it? What is the purpose of the legislation? And these transactions were entered into really took away that de jure control without actually doing it. And that's the functional equivalence concept they introduced. Right. So 
yes, historically we always said, okay, what is Parliament intended? And that was the purpose of we want to make sure the laws are interpreted and construed so that Parliament's intention is supreme because that's why they passed the law. So is functional equivalent now effectively a common law um, economic substance test? Is that effectively what it is, guys, or what do you think? I, I think so. It's a, a substance. It's a step there. Yeah, a step yeah. to substance over form. Because as we, we have, for decades, been so used to the Canadian um, principle of form over substance. Which is the opposite of our U.S. colleagues. Exactly, yeah. And, and that's why we are so... We, we are surprised by, by the direction the Supreme Court decided to take. Yeah, now when I first heard the appeal was not allowed, I was very worried and curious how they were going to reconcile the FCA's ruling. Mm -hmm. But I think they did a good job of saying, okay, it's not that, but it's still Garth. And and they they clearly thought this was avoided de jure control, but Truly, it shouldn't have, or it, it couldn't have, but they didn't want to introduce this whole new concept. No, the, the way they did it, though, made this case uh, being about a lot more than just control. Correct. This, they, they, they have now, in, I think this is now a, of course, a very landmark case of how you interpret GAR and apply GAR going forward yep. in Every single situation. And what right? makes this even more interesting is the timing with the potential legislative amendments. To well, that's a nice segue because that's where we're going to go next. Is you know, give us a bit of history, uh, uh, guys. The because the government has wanted to amend the GAR. They've they've you know they've said as much in in, in the recent budget, mm -hmm. and they came out with a. It was probably even the election platform. It was an election yeah, platform. It's been years recall. that they've talked about modernizing the GAR. Right. And and back to why. It takes the Supreme Court to tell us what's GAR. You have the tax court full of tax practitioners, judges, former crown or former private practice. Yeah. And they're saying, hold on a second, this isn't GAR. Then you get to the Federal Court of Appeal. This is a whole different thing. Yeah. And well, then you get to the Supreme Court. No, you're not. You're wrong, but you're you're kind of right. And that's essentially the confusion here is we have the specialist court going, no. We have the FCA who over who reviews the specialist court going in a completely different direction. Yeah. And then you have the Supreme Court going, well, it's completely different than any of you guys actually thought. <laughs> and in, in, you know, that's kind of in practice too, right? I mean, think about our day-to-day -day interactions with our clients and, and, and client files is... Uh, you know, are, is, are these plans that we're designing with clients, are they subject to guard? Yeah. You mm -hmm. know, can we say with certainty? No. And, and even though it was a 7-1, there was still a dissent. Right. And that just shows the further issues here. Is even if the Supreme Court isn't unanimous, how can they expect private practitioners to actually... And taxpayers. And taxpayers mm -hmm. to determine what guard is. Yeah, I agree. So let, let's, so let's fast forward then to the proposals that the government has released for discussion on GAR amendments, and what's what's kind of the highlight features of these proposals, mm -hmm. guys? Economic Kenneth? substance. Yeah, they, now they, um, the high, one of the highlights is, it says that um, they didn't change, they didn't really change the GAR legislation, um, but one of the major changes, it says um, if 
there is a situation where there's no economic substance to a transaction, and then that will tend to suggest that a misuse or abuse has happened. Mm -hmm. And then they, they outline some, some situations of uh, when, when um, the situation point to a lack of economic substance. And in, in the GAR amendments in the budget, they proposed adding that preamble to interpret GAR. But this case already shows that everything they added is just well, a repeat. Well, if they're already con considering the waiting between being able to determine your own tax, following the rules. And we'll, and and we'll get that, that in a minute, Asim, because I want to get your guys' comments on, on that more specifically. But where I was heading is one of the highlights that they've introduced is a 25% mm -hmm. penalty. Mm -hmm. So maybe just describe that. I, I think the penalty is going to prove to be very problematic with the continued... But what is that penalty, first so, of all? So the idea is the 25% penalty would be a penalty on the tax benefit obtained... If uh, GAR applies. If GAR applies, if the Crown were successful in, in asserting GAR now. The out they provide... And 25% of the tax... Of the benefit. Of the benefit. Yeah. And so, the tax benefit means like the income adjustment, right? Not, correct. Not the tax correct yeah, so, that could so be that's extremely massive. punitive that's massive now right? now the, the the get out of penalty jail free card is if you voluntarily disclose the transaction therefore giving the the tax authority a roadmap to determine if they do think our applies that way they would just deny the benefit and we won't get into it today Asim. but given the fact that you're a lawyer and of course we work in a law firm you know, There's concerns on privilege, on, and this goes to the whole mandatory disclosure rules. I believe the CBA and the Joint Committee has already commented and, and on, on yeah. issues with privilege. Yeah, I have it. That legislation is not yet final. The mandatory mm. disclosure rules. Well, it's before Parliament. Yeah, yeah. It so hasn't passed. It hasn't received royal assent, but it's it's, it's uh, close. It's close. It's close. So I'm curious what will end up happening on privilege with it, because certainly privilege here is quasi-constitutional and it needs to be protected. So we've got some GAR proposals. You know, they're subject to debate. Uh, there's been some submissions. I know the Canadian Chamber of Commerce has made a submission yesterday, which was June the... Because today is June the 9th, 2023, when we're recording this. But June the 8th, the joint committee uh, between the Canadian Bar Association and CPA Canada, and I'm a member of that, and made a uh, made a submission on the gar proposals i was not part of that submission but very good submission um you know as i stand back and 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 look at the gar uh proposals the the 25 penalty just scares the hell out of me mm -hmm. right because and, and maybe that was the intention i'm sure it is just to chill aggressive tax planning but the problem is is what's aggressive what's not in many then cases then why not disclose you, because maybe you're breaching <laughs> just as devil's advocate, yeah, right? But maybe you're breaching privilege if yeah. we do. And then, then it would be the it's, it's the, the the client's privilege. They're the ones who will choose to disclose. Yep. And, and just and, to and play these, devil's advocate, I don't like it, but that's that's the crown's mentality. Yeah, is, and I agree. Hey, you're worried about determining what guard is, so just tell us what you did, and we'll tell you whether or not it is. They're they're taking. They're basically saying, okay, we won't penalize you if you did it. We'll just put you back to where you were. And, and like, if the taxpayer uh, disclosed this by simply 
listing out the steps because mm -hmm. the steps of the transaction is not privilege. Yeah. Um, then, then, then they're not waiving privilege on the legal opinion. I guess if they, they can do that and to to, to avoid to get out of guard. Potentially, need more details. But yeah, you won't disclose the opinion. You'll disclose yeah. the steps now. Now, with recent cases before, you create tax attributes like puck, even though you don't use it, doesn't mean it's not gar yet. So, if you go disclose the transaction, they reduce your puck. No penalties, no anything. If you haven't used the puck, well, if you disclose and they disagree and, and you and you lose, then you correct. Tax correct. Yeah. But then, mm -hmm. if they don't do anything, your your reassessment period is not increased. Mm -hmm. You can start. Presumably to utilize, and, and, and all the advisors are um, are protected against yeah. the. And to be clear, I'm not advocating no, no, for I, this path. I, I, but I, I, from I the get Crown's that. perspective, they're going okay. The tax community doesn't know how to interpret GAR, so let us interpret it for you. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we've had a, you know, in the first twenty minutes of of this podcast, we've come a long way. So let's just quickly summarize. We've had. The Supreme Court of Canada decision in Knight, or sorry, Dean's Knight. Um, it's introduced, you know, the functional equivalent concept, which is an interesting concept, which basically means that we have economic substance that we have to consider in every transaction. Now that when we when we're looking at GAR, we have the GAR proposals that we've just finished debating right now. And, and we have like if you do a, do some transactions just to avoid a resale, that's a circuit breaker type transaction, but it can, that can be ignored. Okay, when, so we've uh, got that as well. Mm -hmm. So let's maybe close the podcast with just a quick discussion. I know some of the tax community is already amused about this as well. But with these GAR proposals that are out there, and now with Dean's Knight, do we even need these GAR proposals? Maybe the Supreme Court of Canada has provided a decent enough roadmap that the modernization of GAR legislatively is not necessary. Thoughts? I just want to add one other thing on what we were talking about a minute ago. Before we come back to this? Yeah, okay, sure. We come back to yep. this, but it's, at the end of the day, the, the, the GAR as it's going and the reporting rules puts a really, puts the advisor in a really bad place. It does, yeah. Because from the advisor's perspective, well, you could be liable for things. So now are you encouraging a client to disclose? their transactions because then it gets you off the hook as well yeah because we have a top like we do gar opinions and it's it's one of one of our lawyers said gar is so confusing the cases i think are gar aren't are found not to be gar the ones i think aren't gar are found yeah. to be gar yeah I agree. so now are we our advisors going to go okay we have this tax plan you know what let's go you should disclose because then it protects the advisor as well and i think that puts the advisor in a really tough spot, yeah, both and, lawyers and accountants. And actually, there's a financial conflict too, because if the advisor have a litigation team, the, 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 the firm would actually hope that the CIA would come back and ask more questions and lead to more work for the litigation team. Yeah, so it, 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 I don't love that about the, the way it's going, because, well, advisors are supposed to act in the best interest of your client, whether fiduciary or not. Right. But there is an element of self-protection that, that they're imposing by, by reporting. I agree, yeah. Which, you know, we could talk about the mandatory disclosure rules and some of the challenges that, are, that the community is going to face. Because the those, but, without going into details, those rules, if, if your transaction is found to be a reportable transaction or a notable transaction, which is really great, the, the advisor, each of the advisor, 
is uh, subject to a penalty of uh, you can uh, at least one hundred ten thousand dollars. I know, which yeah. is which is not good. All right, let's get it back to my closing question then. Uh, but good point, Asim, before we close. So thank you for that. So what do you think? Do we need the uh, GAR legislative proposals in order to modernize it? Or has Dean's Knight done a good enough job? So if the proposals actually modernized and added more insight, I would say yes. The proposals as they were introduced in March, I'm not so sure. Um, of, of course, the economic substance, I think, is important to consider, and maybe they do need to legislate that, I, I, maybe, mm-hmm. uh, but the penalty is, is going to cause some issues. When they first talked about modernizing the guard to add more predictability, to add more, to add less confusion, I don't think the proposals really get you there. But I also think GAR is very difficult to legislate. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. Uh, Kenneth, your thoughts? Uh, if I am the Department of Finance, uh, after reading Dean's Night, I would go, wow, this is better than I hoped for. Like, because... Um, I'm sure some Department of Finance people are likely going to listen to this, Kenneth. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> so maybe maybe we shouldn't be putting too many words in their mouth. But, okay. but in any event, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, like the... They, they substance... Like, I think there's an element of substance reform in that Dean's Night decision. The Dean's Night decision do emphasize a good needing a balance uh, between certainty and um, and protecting the uh, fiscal base. Um, but if maybe if I'm finance, I I won't amend the GAR 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 rules. And if if we really want to impose a twenty five penalty, maybe that's the only amendment needed to to GAR not needed. But if if you were to Change the guard. Maybe that's the only thing they they add to the to the uh, guard rules. Maybe that's the way to go. That's kind of where my head is. Yeah. Is all right. Do you need the preamble that you talked about, Asim? I think the preamble is already considered by the courts clearly. That, that's kind of what it seems to me. Um, if you, you read know. the preamble and you read Dean's Night, they go through pretty much everything, and they even acknowledge the balance. Right, but I do agree with you, Kenneth. I mean. What's the pros and cons of retaining that penalty proposal, right? And I mean, I can somewhat understand finance's objective with that introduction. It's very, very harsh, though. And mm-hmm. the joint committee submission made made note of that. Yeah. But uh, outside of that, I I don't, I don't know, Kenneth. And if I'm finance, I would be worried if I then if I put in that preamble about needing balance, I'll be worried that the court will now look at it again and say, oh, the because of this in. Now that the change in the preamble, we need to look at this guard approach again. And now they may lose the, um, uh, the they the court may actually end up scaling back well, the, well, the approach they're talking these What's nights. really interesting is we've seen the Supreme Court not just in tax but in many other areas of law, flat out say, "Hey, legislature, you should look at rules and laws surrounding this area of law." Mm-hmm. In different cases, they did not say that mm-hmm. in this case. The Supreme Court did not say, hey, the legislature should address the validity and, right. and conciseness of these statutes. They ignored that topic. They have said that before because the judiciary is not afraid to have that opinion heard. Right. They did not tell Parliament to revise these laws in this, in this case. And I find that to be an interesting thing, especially with the timing of the ruling. 
and the budget proposals. Good point. Yeah, good point. All right. I, I want to add one more thing. I was uh, just going to say la yeah. uh, last words. Last words on, on Dean's Night and its implications. Kenneth. Okay, so if stepping back, I said, let's say if I'm outside, I'm not a tax planner, I'm not in this industry. I would say that the Supreme Court's decision is actually, it's, it's fair, right? It's like, you you should not misuse, you misuse or abuse rules. And if you do something you're not supposed to do, okay. But maybe we'll play God devil's advocate apply. there too. But, I mean, like the yeah. dissent said, did they really uh, not follow the rules? Maybe, but should, <laughs> but I can see the point where like, why should someone with the means to hire really good tax planner be able to achieve a better tax result than people who don't? You're Well, that's... No, no, stepping back, right? Like, just from a complete outside... If okay, I'm I'll, let you, I'll outside. let you finish. However, the, I think the problem is this. Okay, if you're going to do this for people who try to reduce the tax, we, there are so many situations um, when you do tax planning that you would accidentally walk into a situation where you're overtaxed or double tax or triple tax. And I would argue that if you're going to have a guard rules that, that do what it's doing, especially on these nights, there should be another rule that allow taxpayer to um, override the tax results resulting from the words of the act when, when, it, when it creates an sit, unfair situation like overly tax yeah. burden situation. That would only be fair. And, and, and what, like, why not? No, that's, that's a good point. There's a lot of provisions that have a very minimal amount of time to actually implement, but unsophisticated taxpayers may not have the time or resources to, to address things in that time period. So why are they punished by the tightness of the rules? Yeah, like I would say, like most of the time we, we spend in practice is to try to steer taxpayer, teach steer clients away from traps. Correct. Why are there so many traps in the act, right? In the Income Tax Act, it's not and fair. And eighty four point one is a big one. Yeah. Imagine how many times that's inadvertently triggered by unsophisticated taxpayers. Well, yeah. I mean, you can look at the insurance stats, right? In terms of tax advisors right. sued and. That, that's at the top of the list, right? So, All right. I like that idea. If, if there's a GAR, why isn't there an opposite provision? Yeah. All right, Asim, last word Fair, to you. Other than fairness. <laughs> La last word to you. No, I, I, like I said, I think the legislative amendments will, I don't think they'll get implemented as they were. I think Dean's Knight for the Crown is a relatively successful win. And because it... it involves you looking further at the spirit rather than just the, the le legislation, not just replacing words in there. I think there still continues to be disagreements. You could have two tax people in the same room with the same facts and they'll have a disagreement on guard. And, yeah. and that may or may not go away. Like I said, I think it's a very difficult thing to legislate because how can you? you disagree on the object, purpose, and the spirit? That's, yeah. that's where the disagreements are. It's never on the benefit or avoidance. So I'm, I'm not sure where they go, how they modernize it, the, but we're, I'm, I'm more worried about the disclosure elements than I am about the actual guard. I'm oh, worried about that. Sorry, go ahead. Here's a suggestion for finance. Maybe instead of a 20 penalty that's 25% of tax benefit, increase the interest rate. If you if you caught on guard and you have a real, uh, yeah. unpaid tax because of it, now your arrears interest is not just uh, 
what the, the basic rate plus that's pretty plus high four. right now <laughs> make it basic rate time plus plus six or plus eight yeah to basically take away the the mindset of yeah worst case i just borrowed money from the government i mean that's that's not a bad thought and maybe finance has already thought of that not sure i do have troubles with the 25 percent penalty given for the lot of the reasons that we've already discussed today um in practice we don't know you know, I remember uh, Chief Justice Bowman um, had many, you know, he said this publicly many times and private to me a couple times about the GAR, and he goes, give me the documents. And he would and he would, he would hold the documents up to his nose and he'd run it across his nose and, and he said, it's a sniff test. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I think, unfortunately, in some cases, it, it still is a bit of a smell test and sniff test. And Dean's Night, I don't think is going to take that away. Uh, but we do have some better lights now, at least anyhow. Now, now, is it bad for the system that we start thinking substance over form? Is that a problem? No, is but that the, not but the U.S. Look, look yeah. how U.S. people practice tax law. They, it's think, all about. I think that's yeah. a subject for another uh, mm-hmm. podcast yeah. at sometimes, but or sometime. But thanks, uh, Kenneth. Thanks, Asim. Uh, interesting conversation, and I hope our audience got some benefit out of it. We uh, certainly are not going to solve the problems of the world today, but hopefully you're a little more enlightened in terms of what Dean's Night stands for and and, uh, be careful out there. Thanks very much. Thanks. Thank you.